This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with multi-format rugby coach Damien McGrath. He discusses his transfer between codes, starting off in rugby league, going through rugby union, and currently working within the seven setup. Some of the elite environments he's been within, including Leeds Rhinos and the England rugby union side under Sir Clive Woodward, as well as the current challenges he faces within the Kenyan rugby seven setup. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Damien, really appreciate you spending a bit of your your afternoon with us or morning with us or I don't know what it is time zone wise, but how are things your end? All okay? Very good. Yeah, I've just come back from um, five beautiful days in uh, Diani, which is uh, on the coast of East Africa. So I'm uh, I'm feeling very happy and relaxed. Yeah, I can imagine the the weather out where you are is a bit better than it is over here as well. So uh, I imagine yeah. you enjoy the and sun. Nairobi, where I live, funnily enough, it's uh, it's the rainy season. It's been wet and, and cold in, in Kenyan terms, but escaping to the sun for a few days was nice down to the coast. A little bit of rain to make you remember home then. That's the thing. At least you've got the home comforts. Yeah, um, it. For people that maybe don't know you, haven't come across uh, you before, do you want to give us, I guess, a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of who you are and then, I guess, a little bit of a journey of how you've got there with some career highlights, which we can discuss, discuss later on? Uh, yeah, I mean, it may be showing my age because it's a long a long story. Um, I'm currently the, I'm the head coach of the Kenyan National uh, Sevens team that play on the, the World Series of, uh, of Rugby Sevens, which... For those that don't follow rugby, it's a, it's, a, it's a similar to the Formula One. It's um, a series of events across the world. Um, there are eleven this year, you know, and the the winner, the the team that gains the most points across the eleven becomes world champions. Um, it's been a struggle for us this year. We're we're down towards the bottom um, for for a variety of reasons. But um, the the rugby sevens uh, over the last few years has played a major part in 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 my life. I was I'm from Yorkshire originally. Um, I, I trained to be a teacher. I was a a very poor professional rugby league player, um, but with a combination of my teaching background and and obviously uh, rugby, moving into coaching, although it didn't seem obvious at the time, was an obvious step and. Um, I, I was player coach in in the reserves for for, for Batley in, in in rugby league, and and then I got this amazing opportunity to work uh, for for what are now known as Leeds Rhinos in Super League in 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 rugby league um, to head up their academy, uh, newly formed academy. I was head coach of the academy, and all the all the great players of of, of recent times in in rugby league history seem to have gone through that, including. Um, Someone who's well known to a lot of sports fans, Kevin Sinfield, who's done such a lot uh, for MND uh, over the past few uh, couple of years. Um, as always happens, after after something like ten years, I worked my way up to being to assistant coach of the senior team, and we we won Challenge Cups at Wembley's, which was was awesome, and we went to grand finals at Old Trafford, um, and I also had the opportunity to be assistant coach for for Great Britain at the World Cup in, uh, you know, Rugby League World Cup in in uh, 2000, which was a fantastic experience. But there was a change of coach. And uh, as always happens, it seems that the new coach brings his own people. Uh, and I made what at the time seemed a huge step to move from Leeds to London uh, to work for London Broncos. Um, for those people who can remember that far back, Richard Branson, uh, Sir Richard Branson actually bought London Broncos and, and, and populated it with lots of overseas uh, Australian stars, and I was brought in to, to be assistant coach because the the head coach was was fairly new at the job, uh, a bit like which seems now as I feel as an experienced coach, but then it was for my young self to be an experienced coach to him. Um, I, I had a great year there, which um, but it seems bizarre now, but I was homesick and I thought I've got to move back home. I can't, you know. Uh, moving from Leeds to London seems such a, a big leap, and um, 
a, a great friend of mine called Joe Lydon, um, one of the all-time great rugby league players, had, had recently gone from rugby league to rugby union. It's, it's a common thing now, but back then uh, in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, he um, he he went to work for the for the rugby football union in the performance department, and he said that Sir Clive Wood was looking to get some coaches in to to help. Uh, they were going to start the sevens and to work on skills and defence with with the different teams. And would I like to go? And I love a challenge for for such a, a shy person normally in life. I I I, I, I really thought the challenge was fantastic. But the, the deal clincher was, Joe said to me, you can live back in Leeds and just travel down for camps. I thought, oh, what what a great thing. And thinking about it now, is probably the last time I ever set foot in Leeds because I, the life has taken me all around the world since then. Um, but I, you know, I worked um, on the sevens. Um, I worked with England A, the England senior team, England and 19s, I, I, a fantastic four or five years. Uh, and also to help, um, sort of, uh, because they're all, although they're both called rugby, the, the the rules and you know the nuances of the sport are so different. Um, I, I worked at Leicester Tigers for two years at, um, as their skills and defence in the in their first team. At that time, Leicester were the all-conquering champions of Europe and England, and the whole team was. Um, you know, big stars in in the in in rugby. Martin Johnson, British Lions captain, England captain. You know, and you know when they won the World Cup, and so I had a, I had a, had a brilliant experience there, and 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 learnt so much um, while still working with the with the England representative teams. And um, again, as as so often happens at the end of um, Sir Clive Woodward's um, reign. He moved on, and the new guy come in, and, and results weren't as good, and they they cleared out a lot of sort of England's backroom staff, and I was one of the the lowly um, gang to get to get moved on. Another friend uh, who I'd met during this time had taken over as head um, sort of head of uh, rugby in Spain. I didn't even know Spain had a rugby team. My ignorance was was such. But there are actually more registered players in Spain than there are in Scotland. It's such a big game there, and um, they, they they got sponsorship and they wanted to lift Spain's um, position on on the world standing. And I had three great years flying in and out of Madrid um, and working with the Spanish team, and it moved up twenty places on the ladder into the top twenty. And um, but the opportunity came then to. To move to Joe Lydon again, you know, a great friend. He he was the head of performance in Wales, and I got an opportunity to go to Wales, and uh, I get it was it was sort of to be based back in Leeds, but I could travel backwards and forwards. Um, I ended up living in a caravan in um, in North Wales with uh, with a, a couple of famous ex Welsh players, uh, Rupert Moon and Chris Sorsman, but which all added to the experience. But we had a a great time in North Wales, building the the North Wales uh, rugby identity and um, establishing um, a, a professional setup there. When the the lure of sevens came again, and um, a, a great friend of mine called Simon Amor, um, who who's now head of rugby in Japan, uh, rugby sevens in Japan, um, was appointed the England sevens coach, and he, he was his first major coaching role. And in a conversation, he he just would have been interested in coming to help him and, um, you know, helping him steer the ship and, uh, you know, working working alongside him. And I'd love sevens the first time round, you know, the opportunity to travel the world and, and you know, see such, uh, coach such high-level players in, in such a an intense uh, sporting environment was too much to, to miss. So I went back. And 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 did a year with with Simon, and then um, for a man that wanted to stay at home, I, I, I saw a job advertised on of all places Facebook. Would you believe uh, where Samoa um, were, were wanting to a new head of their rugby sevens program? For those that that again that don't follow rugby, Samoa is um, a, a tiny island out in the in the South Pacific, but has a huge rugby reputation uh, for such a small place and. They're seen as one of these sort of giants of the game alongside Fiji out, out that way. I applied for the job and forgot all about it. Uh, and 
um, a long story how I, I found the 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 email in spam and uh, asking me to come for an interview that lasted about six hours because the line kept dropping out. But anyway, I became the first the first non-Samoan to um, to be appointed as head of the Samoan Rugby Sevens program. Um, the eight, almost eighteen months there were were just nothing like I'd ever expected. Samoa's only you can drive around the whole place in five hours and it only has two hundred thousand people. I thought it was a major, a major country. So I was the only bloke on the island with white hair. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go anywhere. It was like being in a boy band, you know. You, because rugby is the only game in town. It's the only thing. I was front page or back page on the newspaper every day for for one reason or another. Everything that happened in rugby was was big. So that was a was a an, an incredible experience, both good and bad. And it and it and it, and it ended badly as as they all do because. Um, the prime minister was also the chairman of the board, and they wanted they, they they were trying to get more influence, and and I was I was keeping them at arm's length. And anyway, it didn't end as well as it maybe it could have done. Um, and I then moved to Canada uh, as head of their sevens program. Uh, they're a, an established team on the on the World Series. We had a great time there. Won won a leg of the World Series for the first time ever in, in Canada's history, um, and. Again, you know, uh, a change of regime in the background um, led to a, a change of coaches, and I moved to Germany just as COVID hit, and we, and we we had a little bit of success there. Germany again, I had no idea Germany was a, was a rugby powerhouse, but it's on the fringes of of of, of the of the big uh, countries. It's a niche sport there, but uh, based in Heidelberg with Olympic funding and. Uh, we had a we had a really interesting time and and one that I, I really enjoyed for, for for lots of different reasons. And then this op <clears throat> pardon me this opportunity came up in Kenya, um, and you know one of those things if if I'd have known then what I know now I would never have accepted because it's been a circus of uh, it, it it's it would take me three books to write just what's happened in the last twelve months it's it's been a crazy time um, which. When I sit back and talk to people about everybody enjoys the stories, but actually living it's not been as um, as as good as it could have been. But that, in a in a long nutshell, is has been my my coaching career. I think that everyone listening to myself will realise that we're going to struggle to do this in an hour. So we'll get through as much as we can. It might be something we revisit um, again further down the line. Um, I think as a really nice starting point, though. Um, and it doesn't matter kind of what form or what you know format you're playing in. For you as a practitioner trying to coach, how would you like to be perceived by your players? Um, so yeah, you know, when you're coming in into a new environment, what are the type of foundations you like to lay so they know you as a practitioner and your expectations and whatnot? Well, I think. Everybody talks about culture, don't they? In, in sport, it's it, it, particularly in the last few years, it's been um, it's been at the front and center. But I think to build a culture, that the players have to trust in what it is that you're you're doing. So you need to be a craftsman. You need to know your your stuff. You have to prove you know prove your worth in terms of the, your rugby knowledge and you know your 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 skill uh, skills coaching. But you also have to be a great salesman because you have to sell your vision and dream um, you know if you come into a successful team what is it that you want to do that's going to help them continue to be successful if you if you go to uh, Samoa and Canada were, were examples of places where the previous regime had almost ground them into the dust and I, I you know I inherited hang dog faces and you know people who, who, who were on the verge of walking away anyway so it's I always like to to be happy and smiling and well, let's face it, we're doing something for a living that um you know everybody would do if they could and and you'd do it in your spare time if you if you weren't being paid for it. So I, I always like to think that you know enjoyment, uh, not fun, enjoyment, because I think there's a difference between the two. Enjoyment's a, a big thing, but also being a good salesman, taking them with you. Because I, I have this my philosophy is when all is equal, skill is king. You know, you can make people stronger, fitter, faster, everybody can do that. But the thing that always makes a difference is is the skill level of, of players, and and when 
when the pressure's on and when the big moments come, usually it's those people that can um, execute the basics, the foundations um, will will we'll see through. And I always start all my coaching um, my coaching tenures with that. I work on the very basic skills, the foundations, and you know, again, I suppose it, it's the same in any sport, whether it's football, cricket, rugby. You're coming in to tell established professionals, internationals, you know, how to hold the ball, how to catch the ball. But if you can, if you can explain why and what 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 the difference it'll make to their game and where it could take them, then it, you know that makes that, that's the I always find to be the key. So. I think I mentioned earlier, I, I'm a natural introvert, a very shy person. And and standing up in front of people when I was younger, I couldn't have, I'd have rather throw myself off a tall building than stand up in front of a crowd and speak. But <clears throat> I always feel as a coach, it, you have to be almost like a performer in the West End. I don't mean going over the top, but you have to play a role. And you, whether you're doing a... Um, a matinee for five-year-olds on a, a Saturday afternoon or performing in front of royalty on Saturday evening, you've got to be given the best performance you can. And that to me is always selling your vision, your dream and, and taking everybody with you. And, um, you know, foundations, are the basics I've, I've found have taken me a long way and, and the teams I've worked with. And I, I always like to do that. Yeah, I think we'll come back onto that in a sec. I think that's a really fascinating piece in terms of how you, I guess, portray yourself to to the group, etc. Just linking back to what you mentioned around the skill element and that being, you know, foundational of what you you implement. If you're going into environment as you as you mentioned, you go Samoa, Kenya, Canada, they've probably got different levels of what they've got had exposure to, or type of coaching, or type of skill that they can do, etc. What type of techniques are you teaching them? Um, and I guess you mentioned the why and giving them the rationale, etc. So how do you frame that why for them? Because um, obviously you're going to have a longer term picture of what you want. You're also going to have experiential learning of working across formats with some of the best players that have played, you know, in, in world rugby. How do you frame that why for, you know, a Kenyan lad who's 20, who's coming into your, your environment and is like, oh, I know how to do that. and might be a bit more, you know, hands off on it. What does that look like for you? Well, even even just showing people how to grip the ball, but, but it's not just showing people what to do. It's it's explaining to them and, and, and video is a great thing that we all have access to now, even on our phones, but, but showing them what difference it can make, you know, I always say to them, you know, name me a, a famous player or a player you admire. You know, and uh, the Samoans used to say Sonny Bill Williams, the the famous Kiwi centre, because he did these fabulous offloads and and. But when when you broke the skill down, all he did was the same as they did, but they just did it consistently well. They did it better than they did. There was a fantastic um, example. A long time ago, when I was back in rugby league, I, I worked as the liaison officer for the Kangaroos, the Australian rugby league team that um, used to come over, a bit like the British Lions tours mm. now, but they used to come over in the winter and tour for, for three months and play internationals. Um, and I had a front uh, front seat with that being being the liaison officer for them, organising things. And I organised an open training session uh, in Castleford, uh, sort of heart of rugby league land. About 3,000 people came. Uh, it was 1990, I think it was. And, and you know, that as as the team came out onto the field, you could almost hear the notebooks, you know, all the, the wafting as everybody turned the page over and, and licked their pencils ready to write down, you know, the the, the key to, to rugby league life. Um, and it started off with a, with, with a simple square drill where they just moved the ball around a square and it went out and it came back in and the ball went low and it went high and it got faster and it got slower. That really, you know, top level skill. There was no mistakes, and there were two guys at the back of the stand, and one of them turned to his friend and said, "What do you think?" And his mate turned to him and said, "Bloody rubbish." He said, "We do that," and he he couldn't understand that they were doing a square drill. You know, all those years ago, that that they actually do with his their teams in training. They thought that the best players do something completely different, and that stuck with me because. It, it, the best players do the simple things very well. And that's always been the message I bring. You know, if, we, if we're going to be better than we are, we need to improve the small things. 
Um, you know, if we can get our foundations in place, and you can always, uh, I, I know your 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 backgrounds in football. You know, my my younger brother Anthony is the head coach of Essex in the county championship in cricket, and he's the same. You know that the best players, Sir Alistair Cook opens the batting. You know they do the small things well. Not it's not the ostentatious drives and all the other. The, the best players do the little things well, uh, and. You can demonstrate that in in many ways now with as I said with video, but but also showing how skills can be become uh, more efficient, more effective, uh, and that's 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 always been the the sort of the foundation of everything I do because it it makes such a difference to people's games. And I'm working under assumption here, so if I'm wrong, please correct me. I'd assume that you guys work on a camp to camp basis, where they're not no. with you the entire time. No, the, the the sevens is is, is a full time setup. Oh, okay, yeah, it's, nice. yeah. So it's a it's a daily thing. Um, but again, it's like everything. It's trying to say to somebody, um, I'm going to show you how to pass now. Um, everybody thinks they can pass, you know. But it's amazing how you can you can change just just by some simple biomechanics and and helping people be more efficient, you know, and therefore more effective. Um, I don't know. In rugby, particularly in in places like Kenya and Samoa, um, they're more physical. It's it's about athleticism as much as anything else, and they assume people can do the simple things: catch, pass, hold the ball properly. So in those places, it was it was easy to make a difference, you know, in a big way. With England um, and even Canada to a degree, it it was there were more subtle changes, um, you know. To there were players there who who'd made eighty appearances on the world series and you know a, a vast experience and played at world cups and you know you, you have to you have to bring them along as well as as everybody else and but i've always found if you go for the if you go for the more experienced players first if you if you can bring them in they'll bring everybody with them so yeah no, it's, it's interesting because the reason i asked that question because i'd imagine that if you had them on a camp by camp basis like sending them off to do work would be interesting to see who engaged with it. But I think what you've kind of alluded to there is that actually, if you can get one of your big players on board and he, you know, a Sonny Bill Williams relates to him or, uh, you know, Tuolangi relates to him, actually go, listen, you've got some characteristics that are similar, but if we refine these basics consistently and you engage with it, not only will you improve, but the, the whole team will see that that's what you're doing and come along with you. But also, I mentioned knowing your craft as well, because if you have someone on a full time basis, you've got to, it's how you deliver it as well. You've got to, you, the, the way you use your sessions and, and how you how you finish off those things, you know, having games that relate to, the skills that you practice and, you know, just gripping a ball and, you know, the, the, those sort of things are, are you, you can do all sorts of things with those and rebound nets and, and using anything you can find to help deliver the same thing in a different way each time, but always bringing it back to why it's important and, and, and where it can take you. And how would you look to pressurize it? Because obviously, like you mentioned, you're going on a world tour. There might be situations where, you know, you're winning the game against all blacks and one of those skills is going to be the difference between you guys gaining 30, 40 metres and being right up their end to them doing it. So how do you pressurise that in training so that they understand, you know, that well, they're, also, able, they're capable? Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of the games aren't always rugby games because, you know, not how you hold a ball and, and knocking a ball out of someone's hands is the sort of thing you do with... I did with children back at school, you know, um, you can use lots of playground games to to develop what you do. And sometimes you get the perfect storm. With Samoa, we 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 beat Fiji in a, in in one of the big world finals um just before Fiji won the gold medal. And the winning try came from five simple basic skills that we'd practiced all year, you know, that where someone did the right thing at the right time. And it was you know, one of those like perfect posters that you could take with you and show that, you know, that's all it took. You know, if, if, because there's that whole thing about, uh, you know, um, there's no I in team. Of course, there's an I. I will do the right thing to help my team be successful. You know, we don't always get to, to score the try or kick the goal, but if we make the pass at the right time or make it a pass that allows someone to run onto the ball or 
presents the ball, you know, when they've been tackled in the right way at the right time. The little things that the people in the crowd don't see, and even on TV you don't notice unless you're looking for it, but the team get to recognise it. And I always make a big thing of of highlighting the, those small essentials when we finish because everybody always stops their, highlight, their, their own video on their highlight of what they're doing something, you know, spectacular. But it's the small things I always you know, get the team to celebrate because those are the things that always make a difference. Yeah, there's a nice example of that with uh, the Miami Dolphins a year gone by. They had a new coach and they were particularly good at blocking with the wide receivers. And I think the, one of the journalists said, why are you so good at it considering last year we were terrible? And he said, because we hold value in it. He said, we'll get up on a Monday after the game on a Sunday and show them clips of where we've done it well and tell people well done he goes so now we're pacing an emphasis on it which means that they're going to want to do it again so I think what like what you're saying there is actually whilst the try scorer might get that end bit if you can almost emphasize the process of someone doing one of those techniques well that allows you to show the emphasis that you're placing on it is well well placed of course because you know, you want players to invest. You know, we've just talked about. I come along and say we're just going to work on the basic skills to start with. Not everybody can see the value in that to begin with, but you, you how you sell it to them and how you portray what it is you want to do. If they see value in it for themselves, they'll they'll invest their time and their their efforts into it. So if you keep you know you keep showing where it's important and how it's important and what it does for the team, and then everybody begins to see the value in what other people do as well as, you know, doing it themselves, then it, it has a great impact on the team. And then one thing you, you mentioned earlier as well was around that, I guess, that salesman piece. Um, and you mentioned around, you know, needing to do that to get your ideas and stuff across. For someone who's introverted, how did you come around? I'm going to use character in a loose word because you need a level of... Uh, being genuine so they can see that. But how did you get that character, that persona of going, right, I'm going to be capable of standing in front of a group of men and going, this is our vision of what we're going to try and get to and I'm going to sell you on it or here's some ideas I'm going to sell you on so we get engagement. Well, I think I think I said about performance and, I, and I, I've turned myself in, although you have to be authentic, as you said, you can't, people will see through you if, if, if you've been something you're not, but... Uh, like most people, I can I can perform in front of a crowd. I, I've even done some after dinner speaking, and you know it's something I'd never seen myself doing in a million years. And I, I love laughing. I, I laugh at everything. You know, humor's a great thing. And you know, I, I make a joke of of everything I can. Not people, but but situations. And, and I'm happy to laugh at myself. And I, and I find that it it brings people. Um, it gives people um, a relaxed view of things. They don't feel under the same pressure if if you if, if you're not always on edge. And I value people. I I always treat people as how I wish I'd have been coached as a as a young man. You know where where the coach was really interested in what I did and and could see the value in what I could bring to the team. I I do small things like before a, a session starts when everybody's on the field warming up and doing things. I'll speak to everybody individually. I'll put my arm around them and, and something, whether it's, you know, how are you today or how's you know, your wife, your brother, whatever whatever it is. But I need everybody to know that I know they're there and I, I appreciate them doing it. And that that seems to have been a, a, a theme. I mean, you can't blow your own trumpet, can you? I know that. But a couple of my most valuable things after all this long time in sport, I got a, um, a private message on Twitter uh, about a year ago from a boy I taught in 1981 or something like that, which I'm sure was in black and white there. But just saying how what a difference I made to him and the team and how when they, they're all in their 40s now, maybe late 40s, when they get together, they still talk about it and what a difference I made and how I, how I you know, made them all feel as though they were important. And I thought, how oh, man, that's awesome. You know, that's better than any cup finals or or anything. And then when I left Canada, the team wrote me a um off their own back. No, I didn't ask them to. They they wrote me a um a letter of introduction to anybody who, who might be uh, 
you know, wanting to employ a coach. And it, it said more or less the same thing, you know, that I, I value people and, I, you know, I, I make everybody feel as though they, they can contribute. And, you know, I, I didn't set out to do that, but that seems to be the way I, I, I do those things, you know. Yeah, and how do you manage that, um, I guess, that relationship building to also the... Um, the performance aspect. So if you look at it for, for your camps, obviously there's going to be an element of performance base. And if they're not performing, you're probably going to have to go back to a regional club or, you know, you're going to call someone up to in their place. So how do you balance that act of knowing them, knowing that you care and having relationships, et cetera, but also them understanding that ultimately this is a performance based industry. And that actually, if you don't perform, regardless of this relationship and I do care about you, you probably going to have to vacate the programme. Well, that was my biggest uh, Achilles heel as a, as a young coach because I wanted to be liked. You know, that, that was, it, it's still a weakness now. I hate people feeling, thinking badly of me, but it's something I, I developed over time. And I found that, again, I got myself into more problems not being honest with people because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Whereas if you set the standards early and people realise what it is you're looking for, and then if you're not selecting them, you give them your reasons, I always let them know that, you know, I'm not expecting them to agree, but I have reasons. I haven't just done it on a whim. Um, and I'll also give them a way back. You know, you need this is what you need to do. I don't just say you're out because you haven't played well last week which it probably knew anyway, but I say, look, you know, these are the things you need to, I'll always have a, a way back for them. Uh, you know, even if it's someone who's going to leave the programme, like you said, who's who's had a shocker and, and or is obviously not of a standard, which I've had to do this year. Um, it's the, You always have to have a reason. Um, and, and honesty, um, not necessarily blunt honesty, but but, but, but honesty in, in, in how you approach it. Um, I think, lets them know that you value them, that you, you, you're you not picking them now or you're not selecting them for the squad at this time, but you haven't closed the door and because you, you think they've still got things to offer, but these are the things they need to do if they want to get back in. Yeah, I like, I like that way back phrase for them because, you know, something that resonates is go, actually, yes, this could be something that's short-term, but here are some, some things to work on. Um in terms of the the process in Kenya of talent identification, what does that actually look like? Because I'd imagine, you know, in England, you probably can get videos, VO of every single game from under-16s up, and you're going to be able to get best bits on YouTube and stuff. I'd imagine probably the grassroots capacity is very different in Kenya. So what does that actually look like? Well, I, I said to you earlier that we hadn't got, things hadn't gone well for a variety of reasons this year, and talent identifications one of them there is no plan here uh, and modern sport um, high performance sport has to be supported by a system a, a plan and that there is, there is nothing here it's it's still back to the days of plucking people from obscurity and expecting them to go you know playing center midfield at old trafford uh, you know against against the, the the champions from you know playing nowhere and that's the it's a, it's 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 a big weakness here that there's such a big jump between um local club rugby and then being selected for for something like the world series of sevens which which is you know highly professional and full of amazing athletes who and a lot of them with lots of rugby experience and iq the big um weakness here is coaching the coaching's not there there's there's certainly amazing athletes who can who can run quick and and a, a big and muscular, but their lack of coaching and and game understanding is 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 a is a huge red flag. And we we have a small squad, and sometimes I, as much as I'd like to leave someone out, you look round for what's going to replace them, and and the the drop off is too big. And it, it's down to to finance as as so much is here in Africa. You know the. The, the finances aren't fantastic and, and the, the corruption that runs through society runs through sport as well. Um, and it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, 
Samoa is probably a better example because, again, a, a not a very rich country, but they had such a, a well-organised village system where everybody who, who was of a standard was pushed to, to a regional uh, group and the regional group trained on a, on a regular basis under the uh, sort of um, microscope of, of the senior coaches. We knew who was coming through and who wasn't. Um, so... It, but for Kenya, that 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 doesn't happen. And and you're right. There, there there was a boy turned up at the the school's championship last year and 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 ran everybody ragging. Nobody ever heard of him before. A barefoot kid who'd come, you know, one of those Cinderella stories from from nowhere. And you know those those boys are there, but then he's disappeared again now. Not into obscurity, but he's gone back to school. And the Kenyan rugby don't have a handle on him. And and. You need that pathway where they can filter down. I was thinking, you know, he'd already be in an academy, or, or be you know he'd be part of um, a regional setup, and it, it. There are so many things you could do to improve rugby here. You know, the it's it's about the the basic ingredients are all here. You know, all you need is a a really well organized uh, recipe to to make it work. Perfect. So. I think moving on slightly, one of the things you mentioned earlier was around, um, I guess, having credibility in front of the coach, in front of the players, and knowing, I guess, the intricacies of the sport as well as knowing them as characters. And one of the things I guess that's resonated with me is how much you've moved around in terms of codes. Now, there'll be some people listening that will go, "Well, it's all rugby. It's catching rugby ball and past it and stuff." But I'm not going to pretend I'm a rugby connoisseur. I do like watching it, uh, but I'm educated enough to know that it is very different in terms of how you play the game and some of the intricacies behind it. So my first question before we go down that rabbit hole is how did you as a coach, I guess, upskill yourself around those intricacies? If you're coming from a league background, how did you learn about, you know, the differences of going from the league type of defence to then having to deal with rucks and malls to then sevens and all that type of stuff. How did you go around that process? Um, a little bit of it was learning on the job. Um, but it, it's interesting you should say that because even as a, a young rugby league coach, I, you know, I, I played in the second division. I wasn't first division um, standard. So as I, you know, my first big job, as I said, was at Leeds which is one of the you know the blue ribbon clubs of rugby league, and when I was appointed assistant coach of the first team, some of the biggest stars of the game were playing there, and I was you know who was I to tell them you know the 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 little intricacies of the of the game and and try and point out mistakes, and and I found that if if you if you didn't try to do too much too soon, you know that that. That getting people to trust you, that you you weren't looking to undermine them, you were looking to help them. And I always find that um, to begin with, you know, being positive over over the good things rather than looking for errors to try and point out and then improve on was a way forward. And I looked at that. I I, I took that with me when I went into to rugby union because it it seems such an obvious thing now, and there's such a. a a big movement of coaches between the codes. But when I did it back in 2000, 2001, there was maybe one, two people had, had done it. And I was, I was very much the enemy coming from one. It, it was only three or four years previously that, um, you know, if you went to rugby league, you were signed die from rugby union. You were, you know, you, you, you weren't allowed to, to take part. So there was still a, an arm's length feel with it. Um, and I took that approach of rather than throwing myself in and trying to be a know-all and um, and and using my experiences from rugby league, which had been professional for such a long time, <clears throat> and trying to bring those in, I tried to take the same approach. I I, I understood the exact watched the game and, and the shape of the ball was really the only thing that was similar. The games are probably closer now than ever before, but back then the rules made it such a different uh, game to play. Uh, and I looked for the things that I could help with rather than trying to bite off more than I could chew. And I found that, again, it, if you built a trust that way, it, it helps you with your credibility and it also um, in your relationship with the with the players. Because, I, again, I didn't even go in at the bottom end. I went right in at the top. I was I was at Leicester Tigers with all the, the great and the good um, who were all playing for England 
Scotland or Ireland at the time, and with England itself, <clears throat> all the established internationals. And they're not going to take, um, you know, a, a know-all who knows nothing from rugby league, um, you know, seriously, if, if, I, if I try to jump in with both feet. And I tried to help improve things in a small way, using the things, the fundamentals I talked about at the beginning, um, which, you know, transcended both sports. I, I used those to try and um, help build a credibility and, a, you know, and that I had a knowledge and I was bringing my specific knowledge in rather than trying to be someone, you know, getting involved in things that he hasn't quite got a grasp of yet. And uh, to be honest, this is part of the reason why I started this podcast, because I felt that cross sports could learn a lot more from one another than we necessarily do. And actually, you know, for me, going around and being able to steal ideas from people is is, is proved to be really useful. I guess for you going into that in those environments, was there something in particular that you thought, oh, this is a really obvious and easy win that I can pull across from my league knowledge that actually could help some of these players? Well, I, I, always, I keep saying this, about, but when all is equal, skill is king. It's amazing how the further up your la the ladder you go, people get away from the, the real fundamentals that, that the best players can do better than everybody else. And they're looking for, for bigger and, um, you know, sort of the bigger picture stuff. Um, and they're talking about tactics and, uh, you know, rather than technical elements. And I found that, you know, as good as some players are, they 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 were still wanting in technical areas, and I could make a difference. Uh, and and that's how I I made a niche for myself to begin with, just in that, looking at improving people's basic skill levels, because they then and like all good players in any sport, they can see a value in people who are making them better. Um, you know, again, they can they, they they'll buy into it because they can see what it's going to do for them. And I could I could get some because rugby union was in its infancy in, in terms of being a professional sport. I could make a difference in 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 the short term there and and establish myself in something that wasn't being done by the the rugby union coaches of that time. It's all been done now, but but back then I could I could you know I could make a difference in that way, uh, and that that established <clears throat> me that established my credibility uh, in a way. That maybe doing some that you would think doing something big and flash would do, but I could I found that I could make a difference with the with the small things that people couldn't see, but the players themselves could relate to and saw a, a, a value in, and and that's where how I I sort of sneak my way in into you know gave myself some credibility within that that that, that group. No, I think it makes sense. Like simple things like how you protect the ball going into contact so that you don't knock it on. You know, if you reduce the knock-ons within uh, rugby union setting, one of the biggest like things that made a difference was 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 how to carry the ball. You would think when you're in a sport like rugby, where you get the ball and you run with it and try and put it down, how many people lose the ball because they can't carry it properly and and hold the ball in the right manner to protect it and to also run efficiently with it. Yet in rugby league, it's such a a day-to-day -day thing. But at that time in rugby union, it wasn't something that. And like I said, so often bringing those small things in, players can see an immediate difference and, and they can see a value in, yeah, I understand what you mean now. Because if you carry it properly, you can protect it, but you can also pass it properly because it's in the right place at the right time to do, you're not adjusting the ball in your hands, you know, to get things in the right place. And everything, all the small things were always connected and I could always make a connection between them to allow, you know, even how you grip the ball, you know, you never do it by the points, you always do it by the fat bit and and why that is and what a difference it makes and what it allows you to do. The, you know, the connection, You once you sell it to people and show them the difference it makes, it, it, it they're, they're on board with it. And, you know, as I said, that, that was my my sort of, my uh, my gift at the time was to to do that rather than you know try and be a know all who who, who knew nothing and uh, but I've I found it, it it works everywhere. And then we've seen particularly I guess over the last few years um, a lot of um, cross contamination of, co of coaches going across formats and stuff. And one of the things that's probably been highlighted most to me, at least from the outside, is probably. Um, defensive coaches from rugby league going into union um yeah. and having success 
I guess from a purely outside the perspective, why is that? Why has it become such a common practice and why do you think it's had a positive effect in terms of results for those coaches that have gone and done it? Well, without undermining what they, it's probably the easiest thing to organise defensively because you can you can number off and, and explain it in a much more um, simpler way than attack, which is much more fluid and and based on chaos. I suppose in any invasion sport, and you want you want to be as chaotic as possible to make it harder to defend. But defensive organisation, I think, is a is an easy win uh, without you know sort of downplaying what people do. But I think, uh, you know, as a rugby coach, you can get your defence organised fairly fairly quickly. Um, but that, in, in my humble opinion, I'm not saying that everybody would agree with me, but I always found that was an easy... And yet, when I and when I came into Rugby Union, that was what people wanted more of, you know, defensive from Rugby League. So it must be, you know, bringing defensive organisation. And yet, Rugby League has had a full-time defensive coaches for so long it's the the uh, sort of the ingenuity of their attacks that make them uh you know that, that makes rugby league so good because you're against well organized well set defenses how do you break them down and i i was always keen to to bring that to to rugby union and you see it now in the premiership in in england and and uh, the six nations some of the fabulous attacking rugby that's played that's that's straight out of rugby league playbooks and uh, you know the the sort of the the ingenuity that people bring to it now and the uh, the creativity is, I think, is is a byproduct of that well-organised defences to begin with because everybody brought a, a rugby league-style defence in which, which almost suffocated the game. And then people have said, right, how can we beat that now? And, and their creativity and their, you know, some very smart people are, are, are showing how it can be done and how exciting the game can look. Yeah, I think it makes complete sense in terms of that, you know, the simplicity of it and then the chaos side. I guess for you as a coach, particularly in sevens, how do you manage that dynamic between structure so the team knows what's going on, but also allowing players to use that creativity or a bit of flair, which might get you, um, you know, an offload when you're not expecting it or a pass or a kick that the the average player may not see? There's... The thing with with sevens coaching, I found when I first came in, that there were three types. There were the followers, the adopters, and the innovators. The followers just followed the agreed way sevens should be played, where everybody filled the field and they just threw long passes and and tried to use all the space all the time. The adopters looked to see what the team that was winning on the World Series was doing at the time and adopted that way of doing it irrespective of whether it suited their players or not, they just did that. The innovators, uh, and there are lots of them about now, are the ones who said, right, what players have I got? What is their skill set? Or what's their you know, unique um, selling point? And they built a game plan around it. And I've always tried to do that. Um, I've been overtaken out by way better coaches than me. But um, if I give an example, when I went to Germany, everybody was five foot four, you know, and, and and you look at them on the World Series; they're all six foot plus big. You, but and, and what I was trying to mean is they were they were a very small team, not particularly fast, but like lots of Europeans, they had great hand-eye coordination, and their skills level was was very good, and they also. I'm not again. It sounds like I'm I'm stereotyping the Germans here. They they had a they were very good at following a pattern and, and like to be told what to do and how to do it. Um, you know, a, this is a, a structure and this is how we'll play. And they managed to, we, we finished fifth on the World Series during COVID. We got invited as an invitational team because Australia and New Zealand couldn't come. And we, we against all those professional 70s, we, we ended up finishing fifth on the, on the, on the series in Canada. And all we simply did, we just, we, we played a game that suited our team. We weren't big, we, so we couldn't power people. We weren't quick enough to run around the outside, but we could out outplay them, outmaneuver them, and uh, you know the they had, players had very good game understanding and game management, and you know they they simply played a way that suited their um, skill set. Their, their whereas you know I often see people just playing the way 
they think the game should be played, whether it suits their players or not. In Canada, we had a big, powerful team and we played a power game, which in seven seems ridiculous with all that space. But we found that if we, we, the more power we, we used, the more it drew defenders in, the more space it created for our quicker players. And you know, the, the, the very simple things. But it, it always seemed to me so obvious and yet so many people don't do that. They want they play a game that they think should be played, not one that suits the the cattle that they have. And I suppose it'd be you know, I'm a huge Manchester United fan. It'd be it'd be um me taking over at Manchester United and trying to play like uh you know Sam Allardyce did at Bolton maybe didn't suit the team or again I'm getting into I've got to be careful what I say I'm coaching because I don't really understand it enough. But um it, you've got to play to to the players you have and I always feel that's uh, for sevens. That's that's so important. No, and I agree with you. I think it's something that's really understated because I think most coaches go in and go, "Oh, this is my philosophy and how I'm going to do it," and actually, you end up putting some square pegs and some round holes, and that's where your challenges come. Whereas actually going in and going, "Okay, what have I actually got here?" And okay, over time, my vision might be this, but in the immediacy, we're going to work on what they can do, which is as you mentioned, yeah. their power running or if it's, you know, being a bit more direct in football or if in cricket it's, you know, we're going to be really slow scoring, but we're going to be in for a long period of time and we're going to win games that way and being comfortable that you're not all going to have a Ben Stokes and Josh Butler that can go around whacking sixes left, right and centre. But I think it's a really understated point in terms of actually the assessment of your team is probably a really good starting position as a coach before you go in and say, this is what yeah. I'm going to do. Um Probably the last question, just unconscious of time for me, um, is something I ask everyone, which is if I were to speak to your players, um, how would or your colleagues, how would you want them to describe you in three words and why? Um oh, someone who trusts people. Uh, because I feel trust is the is the key element. To to relationships, and ultimately to uh, a team. Um, it's a strength and it's also a weakness. My wife said it's a big weakness of mine because I trust people too easily sometimes. But I feel if you if people understand that you trust them and you're not looking to undermine them, then you can get the best from them. Perfect. Listen, Damon, really appreciate your time. As I said at the start of this, we definitely haven't touched on about three quarters of your journey. So it might be when we pick up again, but um, I'm sure everyone, you've you've made a fan of the Kenyan Sevens team for everyone listening and um, hopefully we, we can catch up again soon. Fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.